0: Welcome to the HSD Podcast Series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Lamb, RN, MBA, and Mock Surveyor for Life Care Services. And we are continuing our discussions on the new F-TAG numbering system and the regulations contained in each one of the new F-TAGs. Our goal is to really help our listeners understand fully each, each F-TAG Because the surveyors are now using those. So we want to make sure that everyone is compliant and that they understand those F-TAGs. Today, we're going to be talking about F-TAG 686, which is Treatment and Services to
1: Prevent and Heal Pressure Ulcers. So welcome back, Jennifer. Thank you, Laura. I'm glad to be back and uh, continue our um, series on these F-TAGs and help our uh, listeners to avoid those deficiencies.
0: Wonderful. As we've been doing, can you just recap real quick for our listeners what they can expect from this series?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, what well, we have been covering one F-TAG per podcast to explain the 49 tags identified as substandard quality of care. Substandard quality of care is defined by CMS as having more than one deficiency related to participation requirements that are found under resident behavior and facility practices, quality of life, and quality of care, which is the series that we're working on now is the quality of care tax. Um, These constitute either immediate jeopardy to resident health and safety, a pattern of or widespread actual harm that is not immediate jeopardy, or a widespread potential for more than minimal harm, but less than immediate jeopardy with no actual harm. And we're also using the State Operations Manual Appendix PP guidance to surveyors for long-term care facilities in order to provide for you the same information that your state surveyors use when they come in to do your state survey. So we feel it's the best tool to learn as much as the surveyor and to be prepared for your state survey. And as usual, we advise you to download and follow along um, in the SOM to get the most complete information.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Jennifer. So um, after looking at both um, F686 and the previous tag number, which we knew as 314, it looks like the information has stayed relatively the same. Some of the key differences since the adoption of the new tag numbering system um, is the definition of pressure ulcers now includes a term that they call pressure injury. Um, tissue tolerance is also now defined. The staging of a pressure ulcer has moved from the bottom of the regulation to the top under the term guidance. And then um, Kennedy terminal ulcer term is um, now been added with a definition. So although although for the, the purpose of it um, has stayed the same, there are some definite changes. So let's go ahead and just start with a definition before we jump into some
1: of those other areas. Absolutely. Um, F686 is about skin integrity and pressure ulcers. So, based on the comprehensive assessment of a resident, the facility must ensure that a resident receives care consistent with professional standards of practice to prevent pressure ulcers and does not develop pressure ulcers unless the individual's clinical condition demonstrates that they were unavoidable. And a resident with pressure ulcers receive necessary treatment and services consistent with professional standards of practice to promote healing, prevent infection, and prevent new ulcers from developing.
0: Okay, so then the intent of FTAG 686 is that the resident does not develop pressure ulcers or pressure injuries unless clinically unavoidable, and that the facility actually provide care and services consistent with those professional standards of practice to promote the prevention of pressure ulcers and injury development, to promote the healing of the existing pressure ulcer and or injury, including prevention of infection to to the, to the highest extent possible, and to prevent development of additional pressure ulcers or pressure injuries. So Jen, what is a pressure ulcer or a presser, pressure injury?
1: Well, Laura, the SOM provides the definition of pressure ulcer and pressure injury as localized damage to the skin and or underlying soft tissue usually over a bony prominence or related to a medical or other device. A pressure injury will present as intact skin and may be painful. A pressure ulcer will present as an open ulcer and the appearance of which will vary depending on the stage and it may be painful. The injury occurs as a result of intense and or prolonged pressure or pressure in combination with shear, which is kind of like when you um, like slide down in the bed that's a shearing. Um, The tolerance of soft tissue for pressure and shear may also be affected by skin temperature and moisture, nutrition, perfusion, comorbidities, and condition of the soft tissue. The pressure ulcers or injury can be either avoidable or unavoidable.
0: At this point, I think it's really important to define avoidable and unavoidable so that everyone's on the same page. So, avoidable means that the resident developed a pressure ulcer or injury that the facility did not evaluate in the resident's clinical condition or risk factors. They didn't define and implement interventions that are consistent with the resident's needs, the resident goals, and the professional standards of practice, and they didn't monitor and evaluate the impact of the interventions or revise any interventions as appropriate. So that's what avoidable means. Unavoidable means the resident developed a pressure ulcer, a pressure injury, even though the facility has evaluated the resident's clinical condition and their risk factors. They have defined and implemented the interventions that are consistent with the resident needs and goals and those professional standards of practice. And they've monitored and evaluated the impact of the interventions and revised those those
1: approaches as appropriate. That's correct, Laura. Um, there are several pressure ulcer, pressure injury-related definitions in the SOM, such as colonization, infection, debridement, eschar, sloth, et cetera. So I'd advise to pull those up and look at the regulation and familiarize yourself with those terms. So moving on, um, there was a new term
0: added in the regulation, and it's tissue tolerance. So what, what,
1: what is tissue tolerance? Well, tissue tolerance is the ability of the skin and its supporting structures to endure the effects of pressure without adverse effects. Um, Tissue tolerance affects the length of time a resident can maintain a position without suffering a pressure, ulcer, or injury. So some may be able to stay in a position longer than others without having that breakdown.
0: Well, that that sounds like a really important definition then, so I'm really glad they uh, they added it. Um, I mentioned earlier, Jennifer, in the staging of those pressure ulcers um, that that the staging was moved from the later portion of the regulation in 314 to the beginning of 686 under guidance. And um, I guess, is that important? Um, number one, the, the location of that. Um, and what are the stages of the pressure ulcers?
1: Well, I found it very telling that they moved it from the end of the regulation to the beginning. And that tells me that they're going to be putting some stress and importance on those staging. So if, if they've taken the time to, to move a section from the bottom to the top, it's kind of like when the teacher writes something on the blackboard, you better write it down too. I think it's important to know those stages. So we can go right on through those stages. There's um, there's five. Um, stage one is non blanchable redness of intact skin. Stage two is partial thickness skin loss with exposed dermis, and it presents as a shallow open ulcer and can also present as an intact or open blister. Um, stage three is full thickness skin loss. A subcutaneous fat could be visible and granulation tissue or rolled wound edges may be visible. And granulation tissue is that pink uh, red moist tissue that fills an open wound when it starts to heal up. It kind of, it it almost puts you in the mind of like beefy hamburger or something. It's really, really um, red. And and that's a good thing. Uh, That means it's um, healing. Um, It contains new blood vessels, collagen, fibroblasts, and inflammatory cells. Uh, Stage four, is full thickness, skin, and tissue loss, and there can be exposed or palpable fascia, muscle, tendon, ligament, cartilage, or even bone in the ulcer. You can see that. And then finally, the unstageable stage, um, that's um, obscured full thickness, skin, and tissue loss, and full thickness, skin, and tissue loss in which the extent of the tissue damage with the ulcer can't be confirmed because the wound bed is obscured by either slough or eschar. And sloth is that non-viable yellow, tan, gray, green, or brown tissue. And, and a lot of times when I was looking at wounds, It's almost always yellow. But anyway, it's usually moist, um, can be soft and stringy, and have mucus. It's real it's stringy in texture. Um, sloth may be adherent to the base of the wound or present in clumps throughout the wound bed. Um, eschar is that dead and devitalized tissue that is hard or soft in texture, and it's usually black. Um, it can also be brown or tan in color, and it appears scab-like. Um, the necrotic tissue and eschar are usually firmly adherent to the base of the wound and often the side edges, um, sides and edges of the wound. So there are several different stages, and knowing what those stages are is vitally important.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, also, I understand that there are other considerations that when staging a wound, um, it's not just stage one, two, three, four unsageable. Is that correct?
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of others, deep tissue pressure injury. Um, that's the persistent non-blanchable deep red maroon or purple discoloration. Um, looks like a deep, deep bruise because basically that's, it is, it's like a deep tissue pressure injury. So this discoloration is due to injury of the underlying soft tissue. Um, medical device-related pressure injury or ulcers um, result from the use of devices designed and applied for diagnostic or therapeutic purposes. Um, so you can have something that's attached to the skin, you know, or to your body, like a brace or something. And if that has a piece to it that is pushing in and causing pressure, that can make a pressure ulcer. And then you have mucosal membrane pressure ulcer injury, and those are found on your mucous membranes with a history of a medical device in use at that location of the injury. And due to the anatomy of that tissue, ulcers can't be staged. So anything that's mucosal membrane would be unstageable.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. So pressure ulcers are pretty serious. What can we do to prevent them?
1: Well, first, there are a few steps that the facility must do in order to put in place prevention measures. A facility must identify whether or not a resident is at risk for developing or has a pressure ulcer or injury upon admission and thereafter. A facility must evaluate resident-specific risk factors and changes in the resident's condition that may impact the development and or healing of a pressure ulcer or injury. And a facility must implement, monitor, and modify interventions to attempt to stabilize, reduce, or remove underlying risk factors, And then finally, a facility must provide treatment to heal current pressure ulcers and then prevent the development of further pressure ulcers or injuries.
0: Okay. So the first step to prevent pressure ulcers is to identify the resident risk factors and then to follow up with the implementation of appropriate individualized interventions for monitoring um, and effectiveness.
1: Yes. Yes. The primary assessment of the resident upon admission is what identifies the risk for developing pressure ulcers and injuries, and it identifies who may already have those ulcers or injury. You know, a pressure ulcer or injury can develop in a matter of hours, just hours. So you can have somebody come in, and if you haven't done that baseline assessment, and they've been there a few hours, they could get that pressure ulcer. So you need to identify any kind of pressures that come into your, you know, into your community right away. Um, so that way you have that assessment as soon as possible.
0: Well, you mentioned residents at risk. What are some of the risk factors?
1: Well, some of the risk factors as outlined in the SOM um, include impaired or decreased mobility and decreased functional ability, conditions such as end-stage renal uh, disease or diabetes, Drugs that may affect healing, resident refusal of some treatments or care, cognitive impairment, exposure of skin to urine or feces through incontinence, um, nutrition deficits, and of course the presence of previously healed pressure ulcers and injuries. So it would it
0: would it would you know. Seem to me that prevention and treatment strategies are probably the most important thing. So can you help our listeners understand um, and help them to prevent or treat pressure ulcers and injuries?
1: Certainly. Um, You know, of course, we have to look at each individual resident and abide by their choices, their needs, their clinical conditions and assessments. But some of the ways that we can prevent or treat pressure ulcers and injuries is to redistribute the pressure. You know, repositioning is is basically one of the most popular things to do to um, prevent pressure ulcers is that repositioning, offloading the heels, um, minimizing exposure to moisture and keeping the skin clean. If a resident is incontinent, you'll know, be mindful of that and make sure that their skin stays clean, you know, as soon as possible if they have an incontinence episode. Um, provide appropriate pressure distributing uh, support services, such as those low air uh, loss mattresses or gel pads, and maintain nutrition and hydration.
0: Jen, when I'm looking at the regulation, I noticed that there's a special provision for residents who are at the end of life um, receiving hospice care or palliative care. And one of the things noted was that the surveyor should understand that the development of pressure ulcers and injuries at the end of life may be unavoidable due to the illness and all those multiple system failures. This doesn't mean that we can be lax in how we care for residents, but we have to put in place individualized care and services to prevent pressure ulcers and injuries as they develop. It's not just the failure of the facility, but rather the result of following the wishes of the residents um, or the effectiveness of the dying process.
1: Right. That's true, Laura. You know, sometimes we can do everything in our power and pressure ulcers and injuries still occur. So we have to make sure that we are documenting everything that we do for the resident, and we have to make sure that we've explored all avenues within the resident's wishes to prevent them. You know, when I was a state surveyor, that is something that we took into consideration, that if we were looking at pressure ulcers, you know, is that person on hospice care? And if they are, you know, is their medical condition, is it such that this is an unavoidable thing. So they do take in, that into consideration.
0: Well, thank you for, uh, for clarifying that, because I think it's really, really important. Um, earlier, when we started this uh, conversation today, I, I mentioned that there's a new definition in the regulation, and it's called the Kennedy Terminal Ulcer, or KTU. Can you tell our listeners what a Kennedy Terminal Ulcer is?
1: Yes, um, a Kennedy terminal ulcer is a pressure ulcer that is characterized by a rapid onset and rapid tissue breakdown. Um, they actually typically uh, develop in residents who are at the end of life, and it was actually named for a nurse, uh, Karen Lou Kennedy, who discovered the medical condition.
0: Well, how does it differ from other pressure ulcers?
1: Well, the Kennedy terminal uh, ulcer, or KTU, are different due to the rapid onset. Um, They can go from, you know, earlier I said that, you know, pressure ulcers can, you know, be within hours. Well, the here's the thing. This can go from being a blister to a stage four in a matter of hours. It's not just a development of a pressure ulcer, mm. ulcer. It's basically going through the whole timeline within just a matter of hours. And these wounds, they grow downward instead of horizontally. And they can be typically when you see them, they're like a horseshoe shaped or like that kidney bean shape. Um, They might even call it a butterfly shape. But anyway, they are generally found on the sacrum. They are irregularly shaped. Um, There are some that are pear-shaped as well. But um, what happens is that death actually occurs quickly with these within 24 to 48 hours of a KTU developing.
0: So it sounds like assessing the KTU timely is extremely important here.
1: Yes, it is very important for facilities to know the differences between a KTU and a pressure ulcer and to document those accordingly. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So um, going back to the prevention of pressure ulcers, can you tell our listeners more about repositioning and uh, pressure reducing surfaces? Because those are really easy ways to start to reduce um,
1: pressure ulcers or the the injuries, Correct. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, repositioning is, is, like I said earlier, is one of the most common interventions. And most of the time, repositioning is done every two hours. However, repositioning should be individualized to the resident. You know, we talked about um, the tissue tolerance earlier. Some may be able to go a little longer, some less. So it's very individualized. So while you really don't want somebody laying in one position for more than two hours, some may only be able to tolerate an hour, maybe even 30 minutes, so it's very individualized. Um, you need to take into consideration the level of activity and mobility of the resident, their skin condition, medical condition, and their comfort level. Now, in regards to pressure-reducing surfaces, when a device such as a low air loss mattress or gel mattress or overlay is used, it has to be appropriate to the resident's specific situation. So while it may seem like it's a good idea to use these devices, and and they're seen quite a bit, if they're not utilized appropriately, they can actually cause more harm than good. You know, you hear, oh, I've got an air mattress, and, and people think, well, that's, that's great. That'll prevent a, a pressure ulcer. Not necessarily. You have to make sure that these devices are, are utilized appropriately and that they're in good condition. Um There should be proper inflation and the correct settings need to be documented and monitored to make sure that the device is functioning properly. Um Often these items are used and then they're not monitored. So facilities need to know how that device works, what is appropriate for that resident, if the device is monitored, and how often, and this all needs to be documented.
0: There's a lot of information regarding pressure ulcers and injuries um, in the regulation, including how to identify, monitor, prevent, and treat them. So I would urge our listeners, if they have any questions um, about pressure ulcers and pressure injuries, that the information contained in the regulation would be really beneficial to make sure that they access that and they read that and they understand it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, there's just simply way more than we could cover in a single podcast um, about this particular regulation, especially. And so we encourage you to follow along in the SOM um, because you can find a lot of helpful information easily.
0: Well, before we close here, um, let's talk about the key elements of noncompliance
1: with FTAC 686. Okay, the um, key elements of noncompliance include the facility's failure to provide preventative care consistent with professional standards of practice to residents who may be at risk for development of pressure ulcers or provide treatment consistent with professional standards of practice to an existing pressure ulcer or ensure their resident did not develop an avoidable pressure ulcer or injury. But remember, the surveyors do not have to prove that a PU, which is a pressure ulcer or pressure injury, Developed, F six eighty six can be cited if they can show that the provider failed to implement interventions to prevent the development of a pressure ulcer or pressure injury for a resident identified to be at risk.
0: Well, we've covered a lot of information in today's podcast, and like you said, Jennifer, that psalm is very, very important. So we urge our listeners um, to go back and take a look at the psalm, not only for um, this this F tag, but all of them, but specifically this one, because there's a lot of good information in that psalm. So at this point, I would like to thank everyone for joining us today as we continue in this series of podcasts outlining the new F-tags and the added regulations from the final rule. I hope you found the discussion today between me and Jennifer on F686 to be beneficial and that you will continue to join us as we explore each of the 49 substandard quality of care F-tags in the coming weeks. So as usual, Jennifer, thank you very much, and I am looking forward to our next discussion
1: thank you laura i look forward to our next podcast as well and we're going to talk about f687 foot care
0: okay wonderful thanks everyone for joining us and i hope you join us next time legal disclaimer life care services llc is not engaged in rendering legal advice therefore any information provided in this podcast although intended to be correct is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.